lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Greetings and happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Yes, I am that man playing Galaga. Todd Erzin is here with me, as is Aaron McIntyre. Our good friend Denise McAllister will be joining us here momentarily for the Dace Group. 888-900-3393. That's how you can call the show. You can also email the program, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show, over on Facebook as well which I already said that, on Parlor at Steve Dace, our new YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And then finally, uh, my next book drops December the 15th. It's the novella sequel to my book that's now being turned into a movie, A Nefarious Plot. It's called A Nefarious Carol. And if you want to make sure you get your copy, my kids want you to make sure that you get your copy. That's right. They are expecting an extra good Christmas this year. And frankly, that's up to all of you. I've already done my part. Now you have to do yours. All right, get your pre-orders in right now over at Amazon.com. It comes in December the 15th, just in time for Christmas. Get your copy now and get my kids a good Christmas over at Amazon.com. I'm working on soft selling it a little bit more. Um, How'd I do this time? Is that what you call it when you keep talking about your kids and Christmas five times? I think it's. I think you just turn the volume up to eleven. I mean, and again, everybody else is mani- I mean, everybody else manipulates their own kids for their own gain, right? I mean, what, like is, I've told you, is that okay now? And I've told you, I'm about your coattails. My kids are about your coattails too. There you so go. I get it. There I get are. it. All right. I just saw the latest IHME model, and it said that we're going to have uh, five thousand bad Christmases if you don't buy Steve. <laughs> Yes, and everyone knows you can trust the IHME model. Everyone knows that. Yes, indeed. All right, coming up here on a Friday, of course, regular order of business. We'll get to Feedback Friday next hour. This is when we find out what you think about what we think. But we begin, as always, with the Dace Group. Your weekly look at the week that was brought to you by realestateagentsitrust.com. If you are going into an uncertain time in the real estate market, there, I got it in early today. Uh, Yes, indeed. These are unprecedented times, even. I added a a double down for you. Unprecedented times in the real estate market and in all markets. Make sure you go in with an agent that you can find. Now, where would you find such a person? Well, probably not on their websites. You know, it, it doesn't mean everything they say on their websites is a lie. It just means every liar lies on their website. (laughs) No one goes on their website and says, you can't trust me. No one says that. No one goes on their website and says, I got to tell you, man, if if I don't see that there's a chance to sell your house in 30 days or less, I'm just going to kind of slow burn you. Nobody does that, all right? But where would you go to find a place where agents around the country are vetted before they're listed and recommended? Well, the name kind of says it all. You can go to realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, check out the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. Let's get to issue one, bleep, Democrats say. We're going to have to blow up the entire system. 
And you know what we're going to have to do? No, I don't know. You know what we're going to yes, yeah. we, we have to do? You just got to Honestly, from what your closing argument is, you're going to have to get rid of the Electoral College. Do you say Democrats, if they get back the Senate in this election in November, should then expand, move to expand the Supreme Court? Are you in favor of trying to expand the, the numbers of justices on the Supreme Court? Like the idea of eliminating the filibuster. Should they do that? As you know, uh, some uh, Democrats are openly threatening to try to pack the Supreme Court with additional justices. Would you agree with that? But to be clear, you're not taking any arrows out of your quiver. You're not ruling anything out. Good morning, Sunday morning. (laughs) Mitch McConnell, we know who this man is. We know who this man is. This is a man who does not care about a dying woman's final wish. But he's trying to have the Constitution of the United States swallow Clorox and- Ruth, you just had to make it to 2021! Or they've developed enough community immunity right. that they're no longer having the pandemic because they have enough immunity in New York City to actually stop. I challenge that, uh, Senator. I'm afraid, because I'm afraid I, I want, please, sir, I would like to be able to do this because this happens with Senator Rand all the time. You were not listening to what the director of the CDC said. But I can't believe we're still talking about herd immunity given everything doctors and public health experts have told us about how dangerous that idea is. It's estimated that 200 million people have died probably by the time I finish this talk. I've become the type of person where I hope they don't get hit and die. I'm sorry, but that, I am so frustrated and just... I don't know what else to do. I, you can't argue with them. You can't talk sense into them. Um, I, I said to somebody yesterday, I hope they all die before the election. Um, that's the only that's the only saving hope I have right now. I don't think I've heard of another Trump supporter being shot. So the f- what? He got shot. Is he alive? Uh, I believe he died. Right. Tough luck. Don't be a f- Trump supporter in Portland. I pledge allegiance to the United States of America. One nation. Indivisible. Under God. For real. All right. First question. (laughs) What was the craziest of the cray-cray this week? Denise, you get to go first as the guest. Go ahead. Well, it has to be that crazy woman in the car. I mean, what a Karen. I mean, just that. I've seen that about the mask, about Ginsburg dying. These people are going crazy. And that's just a perfect example of it. And the fact that she filmed herself going crazy and thought it was a good thing to post this on the Internet where everyone can mock her for going crazy. So it shows just how crazy she really is. I'm glad you made that point. We talked about that earlier this week, Todd. The, the fact that people think posting this is good for them. That there's a market for this, that that there's an audience that will affirm this. Yeah, I feel that way too, is probably the most disturbing part of videos like that. It's not just people losing their feces, it's the fact that they think, well, I've, I've got to make sure I post this on social media right away. That's the part about it that I just, that's deep psychosis level there. What about you? Well, just a comment on that. You, you joke, you like me some me, but you know, at the end of the day, I don't like you, me that much. You, well, you, yeah, that, I'll tell you that. But you you have a Lord and Savior who isn't you. That's the problem. Her Lord and Savior is her. That's why she shows herself. She's up on the cross. That's it. Dude. That's it. I kind of feel like we need to shut the show down right now. That'll yeah. preach. 
That will preach. But that's not my favorite. All right, go ahead. My favorite is actually, it's understated. Um, and it relates to Fauci going back and forth uh, with uh, Rand Paul. But it's Willie Geist. I, the, the invincible ignorance of every expert <laughs> class about herd immunity, how dangerous it is. And he is. He's, he's heard it from many medical professionals, but he's a reporter. So who, he's supposed to be doing legwork and not just taking one uh, scientist's word for it, one doctor's word for it. I, I can't. Steve, Steve has mentioned this before, but again, my background in this before coronavirus. And, and listen, all of mankind would be dead without herd immunity. I, do you not understand? We haven't had vaccines for that long. And before that, and yes, there were grotesque uh, black plagues, but there were all manner of disease. Mankind did not die out because this human body is really a remarkable machine. And you guys simply pretend this is what the magical thinking of vaccination has done in a very short time, relatively speaking. You you have managed to convince yourself that this would be nothing but a pile of ash were it not for vaccines. That is flat earthism. And it's apparently flat, invincible flat earthism because we can, we're six months into this, Steve. You, listen, I'm pro vaccine. Everything you just said is 100% correct. We, we didn't have antibiotics, guys. I mean, was, was it 1921, 1925 when Fleming discovered the penicillin mold? Okay. And then he spent like the next 10 years trying to convince the scientific community that it wasn't a quack. I mean, guys, we, we didn't have vaccines until the mid 20th century. We had humanity long before the mid-20th century. What did we do? What did we do with smallpox for centuries? What did we do? What did we do with the Black Plague? I mean, what did we do with every outbreak for thousands and thousands of years? So and what you're are, exactly correct about that. And, and what everything else I said, and thank you for letting me go on a rant, but how long have they been staring or not willing to stare that graph of Sweden in the face. It's you know, right it's the, it's the, there. It's the same people that don't want to that, that just stare chromosomes in the face and don't care. Yes, it's yes, the same people that that, that stare at a child in utero. All right. Yes, on, that's on, exactly right. Uh, and, and and don't care. I I don't care because I only care about me. This goes back to the point you made about the video. I'm what counts. Yep. I'm what matters. And so anything that doesn't affirm me and what I think or want in a given time. The co- we get our cognitive dissonance on hardcore, man. It's a it's a cog it's a mosh pit of cognitive dissonance. That's what most of American media is a mosh pit of cognitive dissonance. That's what it is. Aaron, I echo everything that's been said so far. Pro- one brief comment on the woman in the car. Probably the most disturbing part of that video, um, honestly, and it hasn't been mentioned yet, is uh, the fact that she's not wearing a mask in her car. <laughs> Well played. Uh, the Willie Geist thing. Um, if you believe that herd immunity is a dangerous strategy, uh, the very your very presence in anywhere that other that other humans could come into contact with you or come into fo- contact with fomites which you've touched, you are a hypocrite 
if you believe that herd immunity is a dangerous strategy, uh, Willie Geist needs to live in a bubble for the rest of his life. Yeah. Uh, unless, unless he. Uh, By the way, what, what, what do vaccines? What are they here to get us to? Uh, magical. I'm sorry. Uh, herd immunity. Yeah. Well, now Fauci wants to call it umbrella immunity. Umbrella of immunity. Okay. Because they yeah. they want to depart from that term, but yeah. that's what vaccination does. As I've explained to you a million times, we vaccinate people in order to get to herd. Unity. Yeah. That's what we do. And speaking of Fauci, that was probably my favorite ride. And of course, there was not enough room to, to watch that entire exchange. But you look at his body language. Yeah, he's at like the shaking. End, he, yeah. At the end of that clip, he is shaking. He is yep. angry. And that is that is the heart of the progressive right there, of the capital P progressive of the leftist. Here's the thing. That girl... She probably doesn't look maybe in her mid-20s, maybe, uh, maybe early 30s. That girl and Fauci, at, at their heart, they're basically the same person. Any pushback, anything, anything that tells you that your reality, that your reality, that your idol is being threatened, is maybe being told that it's wrong, <sighs> it's just rage, just rage, cannot handle it, cannot handle being questioned physically you look at fauci's body language it was not in the clip there but you watch that entire exchange mm-hmm. at the end he's shaking you look at that woman senator in the rand. car yes, yes senator rand yeah. you look at that woman in her car losing her mind that her idol of power or that her what whatever that whatever her idol is in that moment probably herself is being threatened her identity being threatened it is an emotional an emotional reaction and that is at the heart of every progressive. And to get them to that Quickly. point, that's why your book back here behind me, Never Accept Their Premise, is so important. Yes. You got to take them to that point. On a scale of one to 10, with one being the odds that Democrats won't try to cheat this election, and 10 being the odds Joe Biden drops at least, come on, man, at Tuesday's first presidential debate. Rate this week's level of total depravity, Aaron. 10. 10. Denise. Oh, it's pushing way above 10. I agree with Denise. Let's get to issue two, the first presidential debate. The term putting a lid on something is not frequently used in normal human-to-human vernacular, but recently it's been something a lot of blue checks on both sides of the Twitter aisle have been talking about. That's because for eight days this month alone, the Joe Biden campaign has put a full lid on his campaign activities before noon. What that means is that for eight days this month, Joe Biden and his entire campaign have stopped doing any campaigning whatsoever before noon less than two months before the election. That's okay, though, because as the Daily Beast's Sam Stein pointed out this week, people, Biden is doing debate prep. That's why he's calling lids. It's not that complicated. The debates are indeed the next major milestone in the presidential calendar as both Joe Biden and President Trump are expected to participate in the first presidential debate this Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Let's take a look back at both these candidates' most recent debate performances, starting with Joe Biden. There, you, can, you can cut tax rates by 20% and still preserve these important preferences for middle class taxpayers. Not mathematically it, possible. It, it is mathematically possible. It's been done before. It's precisely <laughs> what we're proposing. It has never been done before. It's been done a couple of times. Actually. It has never Jack been done Jack Kennedy before. lowered tax rates, increased growth. Ronald oh, Reagan. Oh, now you're Jack Kennedy. Ronald- and now Donald Trump. She shouldn't be allowed to run. It's cru- she's, she's guilty of a very, very serious crime. She should not be allowed to run. And just in that respect, I say 
It's rigged. I will tell you at the time. I'll keep you in suspense. Well, okay? Chris. It's amazing when you look at that Biden tape, how much his mental capacity yeah. has and, obviously deteriorated when you look at and, that. Can I add one thing to that? <clears throat> I agree with that point. I went back and I watched a, lo- a lot of footage of that last debate performance, and it was still amazing, despite how much how much more cognitive ability he seemed to have then than he does now, mm-hmm. how little <laughs> substance he actually, it was just constantly interrupting poor <clears throat> Paul Ryan there. Because, well, you knew he was up against a technocrat who was yeah. just going to get down into the weeds of details, and all he's got to do is look certain and calling and, and trolling him, and it worked. Yeah. All right, let's get to this. All right. If the election were today, today, and people had to make a call, this is what I believe the Electoral College map would look like. If it's deep blue, 80% odds or higher going Democrat. If it's deep red, 80% odds or higher, according to my ratings, going Republican. If it's light red, 60% odds or higher going Republican. If it's light blue, 60% odds or higher going Democrat. If it is really, really light blue, okay, like Nevada, 50-50 odds favoring Democrats. There's a story in Nevada to watch, and that is the casinos have been shut down almost most of this year. And they're, they're way below capacity reopening now. There have been massive layoffs in that industry. Those are all union workers, a bunch of Democrat voters. And remember, that state was only decided by, pardon me, 20,000 votes last time. So that's why I don't have Nevada as certain blue as other people do. If it's pink, it means, I think right now, 50-50. But if it had to vote, it would vote Democratic. I'm sorry, Republican, all right? So when you look at this map, the, 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 the brown are places, I, I just can't make a call. I think it's too close to call there, but I also think in, in, the, in Arizona, I just think it's too, it's too close to call. The rest states up there, I, I just think that there's going to be massive amount of legal challenges there, and I cannot make a call based on what I know. If, if you look at Maine and Nebraska, remember they have those odd split districts, and, and I don't know who will win those other districts. That's why, there's, that's why there's brown there, all right? So that's where I believe the map is right now heading into these debates. If we had to go in, if people had to vote today, Trump would at least get 247 Electoral College votes. Biden would at least get 222. And then there would be war on the ground for the other 69. That's where I think the race is heading into the debates. So with that in mind, first question, Todd goes to you. You absolutely guarantee blank will happen at Tuesday's first 2020 presidential debate. Oh, I I absolutely think Joe Biden is not going to rise to the challenge. I, I don't think there's a way he, on his own merits, can win. I think Donald Trump can lose if Donald Trump... You see, I'm not worried... The, the, who cares? The, the lid on um, Biden really isn't the point. Of course he's going in to do this. I'm more... I, I'm fine with Donald Trump at this point putting a lid on whatever he's doing at noon and going into debate prep and just and saying mantras to himself like I will be a grown up. I mm-hmm. will be a grown up. Which is not to say don't pick your moments. We talked about one possible one and saying, you know, what's a woman? Mm-hmm. Things like that. But like be 
do not go in cavalierly like a guy like Obama did to uh, Romney and took for granted and, and, and got you, killed the yeah, first debate. And, it, yeah. and if you can get look, if you can get killed just through your arrogance to a guy like Romney, listen, just please, Donald Trump. He can't beat you. You can only beat yourself. So my, but that's my given. There's no way Biden will look to America like, wow, he's really got some game. Denise, what do you think? Guarante- what do you guarantee is going to happen Tuesday? I think uh, Joe Biden is going to say folks at least 25 times as he tries to convince America that Donald Trump is a racist and a sexist. So you're going to hear something along those lines. I think that uh, I agree that he will not rise to the occasion. I think he will stumble a lot because he has in the past, even when he was more in his right mind. Uh, He just isn't technically able to give an argument or philosophically able to give an argument that's needed to be given about many of these issues. I think that he will stumble and get flustered and um, not be able to walk that path between clever repartee and making strong points. I think Trump will win um, as long as he doesn't defeat himself. And and I agree with Todd in that. It really is his to win. He will only lose if he does things that just are, are stupid. <laughs> you know, if he pulls Twitter moments during the debate instead of being really thoughtful and, and hone in on really important moments that you know are coming and, and really prove that he's the man that needs to be in the White House and expose Biden for the progressive that he is and not make it always just personal and not make it always just about how inadequate he is or how silly he is. Uh, We'll see that for ourselves as he responds, but really hit home to how he's his views are contrary to uh, to America and our safety and our liberty. And we have to include safety there because people do are concerned about that. I just want to make one point about your map. Uh, Living in North Carolina, I, I really think I would put that in light blue at this point. Yeah, unfortunately. I disagree, but your opinion is duly noted. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I I disagree, but I think you're I but I but I get I I get what the public numbers show, but the public numbers also way over represented what Hillary was going to do in North Carolina in 2016 as well. But I I, I hear you, Aaron. So the final Democrat primary debate was March 15th. That was their 11th debate, I believe, and that was the last time. Um, since the uh, since the, the the clip that I just showed you that that Biden had debated just mano y mano somebody else and it was Bernie Sanders. Here's the difference, and I don't remember that debate very much because we were right in the throes of everything getting canceled. I don't know if you guys remember that debate whatsoever. Yep. I, it was I, in Arizona, right? Uh, it was supposed to be, but it was canceled. Okay. It was it was held at CNN's headquarters, I believe. Um, but the the point is that that you look at at Joe Biden, when he is challenged on his record from hostile questioners, he gets very, very, very testy, very quickly. I highly doubt, and I cannot remember that debate, but I I highly doubt that Bernie Sanders was up there asking about Hunter Biden. You know Trump is probably going to do that on Tuesday night, bringing that up, bringing that into the fold. How How does Joe Biden respond to that? Because on its face, on its face, a mano imano debate where Joe Biden has spent the last six months uh, essentially speaking off of a teleprompter, guys. Speaking off of a teleprompter. There's not going to be any pel- teleprompters to help him 
at that debate. He's going to be going all off of the notes, and you have to arrange those notes as well. There's just going to be too many things going on for Joe Biden. So my lock for Tuesday night is that he is within the first five minutes, he is going to get way off track, visibly so, and you are going to sense a feeling of uncomfortability in the, within the first five to ten minutes. Hmm. Just uncomfortable watching that. Back to what you were, in, what you were talking about, Denise, about the debate. What, what I hear you saying is, is you're kind of tying into an observation I've made for our audience for years, which is when elections are about issues, Republicans win, and when they're about personalities, Democrats win. And I think there's this notion that Trump has um, changed that, and he did not. If you look at the if you look at the exit polls, the number one issue that drove Donald Donald Trump to the general election is what we're going to talk about next segment: judicial nominations. That he made it very clear uh, who we would appoint for justices, people that would overturn Roe. Right? He he, he ran on issues. The the stuff that didn't work, the locker up chance at the rallies and that kind of stuff. That stuff actually didn't work. It was it, it, they tried that at the, all three of the debates. You know, they, they tried this stunt where they brought out, that was Bannon's thing, they brought out the women of Bill Clinton. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's terrible what's happened to those women, but it didn't move the needle like at all. And, and, all and, and coming out of those debates, the election was over. I mean, Trump's polling was bad. It was over. It was over, over, over. And what happened is they, they gave a lot of that stuff up and then just went to Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and then a little to Michigan, but they lived in those states and just ran populist issues into the ground all right and and were just lived in those states and then jim comey delivered his letter the week before the election that stopped hillary's post-debate analysis post-debate momentum but that's the thing that is this is true even in the era of donald trump the reason we're sitting here talking about suburban women voting for an alzheimer's patient is because they're offended at his twitter account let's just be honest about that that that's why they're offended at these kinds of remarks. The personality stuff plays to a narrow base within the Republican base. It plays to no other base in the country. Every other base in the country is annoyed by it, doesn't like to see a president behave like that. And that's the only reason why, on top of handing the country over to Anthony Fauci for four months, which was a damnable decision, that's the only reason why a guy that got us the first increase in median household income in this country since the damn 60s, is sitting here with a battle on his hands for re-elect in the first place. Is the stuff that, that, that the click-servatives people in our movement like the most turns off the most voters across the country. Yeah, you're of course right, which, which is why I said if he can just be a grown-up. Honestly, Biden's, although he would not look l- lucid, his, his best version of crazy would be to bait Donald Trump into a debate that is nothing but a twitter war with those two going back and forth i agree it won't if, if be I, were dignifi- telling, I agree if i were advising joe biden i'd tell him right away try to get trump off his yes. game hey you know what we're not doing that if you know you want to come at me I, I'm, I'm insane let's do some push do, yeah. do your yes. push-up irascible do it right now exactly get trump off of issues right now set the tone from the right. very beginning all right because then every time he just goes nuts the rest of the next two hours you can just say come on man that's what i would tell him to I do know. see i don't think it's a lock whatsoever that Donald Trump's going to win on Tuesday. And I've been warning about this for weeks. When you put everything on one event and you at the same time tell your opponent they have no expectations at all, barely just breathe, That I'm, maybe Boom. it's the sports better in me. I've just seen too many lines that just look like they were automatic wins you're, you're, that turned out not to be. 
Oh, you're right. We all agree on that. I, but it's Joe Biden just can't win it. Donald Trump can lose it, and he can lose it gloriously. Yes, I that I I, I like the way that you put that, Denise. I'll give you yeah. a minute here for the last word on this. Go ahead. Yeah, and I also just want to say, I mean, there's a difference. We're not talking here about Donald Trump becoming blank and cardboard and not having a personality. No, agreed. He, he has a strong personality and, and a good personality and the kind of personality that we needed in the fight. When Donald Trump is fighting for issues, when he's fighting for America, when he's championing us, that's his strength. Yes. That's what we love. And his personality plays in that, yes. in, in being a champion for yep. something good. But it's when he becomes a fighter against things that are petty or personal Trivial, or you yes. insult my big hands or whatever. Yeah. I mean, these are the kind of things that de- de- detract. And we may laugh at them who are in his base, but it does offend. It's not necessary. So we, we want strong, explosive defender of our, our principles of liberty in America. Trump out there is only he can do and has done in years. That's the man we want. We don't want petty. We want powerful. That's perfectly yep. said. Exit question quickly. If the impact of Tuesday's if the impact Tuesday's debate will have on the outcome of the election in 39 days were an old school rap song. Which old school rap song would it be? A, the Humpty Dance. Novelty, but no real substance. B, can't trust it. Nobody knows anything. Or C, Mama Said Knock You Out, which is kind of self-explanatory. Aaron. Mama Said Knock You Out. Todd. Can't trust it. We got this whole Supreme Court thing. Denise. Can't trust it. All right. It's can't trust it, guys. Oh, trust it. Excuse trust me. it. Sorry, right. homie. Holy cow, you guys are middle-aged <laughs> and white. <laughs> trust it. Okay. Dude, we were pretending to like this song in high school. Surely you remember it. All right. More of the Dave's group here in a moment. All right, back here on The Blaze, here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Totters and Aaron McIntyre and our friend back here on a Friday for The Dace Group, the one and only Denise McAllister. Let's get to issue three. From RBG to ABC or TBD. The political world was rocked last Friday night when news broke that longtime Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg had passed away at the age of 87 after a long battle with numerous illnesses, including complications from pancreatic cancer. Naturally, the conversation quickly shifted to whom Trump would pick to replace Ginsburg and whether or not he should even do so. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell quickly pledged on Friday night that whomever Trump nominated would indeed receive a vote before the election. Trump's top choices for the empty seat quickly emerged as 11th Circuit Court of Appeals Judge Barbara LaGoya of Miami and 7th Circuit Court of Appeals Judge Amy Coney Barrett. After a week of speculation and mincing what records the two judges have, it's generally believed that Amy Coney Barrett will be Trump's choice. Trump is set to make his announcement on Saturday. The battle will then turn to the Senate, where it's unclear whether there will be hearings for whomever Trump chooses. McConnell stated earlier this week he has the votes to confirm the nominee. This week, even Rhino Senators Mitt Romney and Lisa Murkowski signaled that they're open to having a vote. So this is the only topic I have set aside for this half of the conversation, because I I think it has several different aspects that I want us to discuss. Let's let's go back a couple of steps, though, and let's just talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her legacy, because I think in my lifetime anyway, um, you know, I wasn't around for 
Republican appointees who became lefties, but were really smart guys like Earl Warren, William Brennan. And, and, you know, they were lefties by the definition of the term in their day and age. They couldn't get nominated to the Supreme Court by a Democrat president today. OK, but those guys were really smart. I mean, I didn't agree with a lot of what they said, but they were really smart guys. You know, a lot of what we see from lefty judges today are I don't like what Trump tweeted. It's Elena Kagan, who's a clown. All right. But Ruth was smart. Uh, Ruth was savvy. Um and I think she's the closest thing in my lifetime on the high court that the left has had to Antonin Scalia. And I think that's a key for the other three judges, because now, you know, she's not going to be there to polish up their arguments for them, if you know what I'm saying. How big of a loss is she, number one, for the American left? And number two, how big of a moment is this opportunity to replace her for conservatives? Aaron, I'll start with you this time. So I, I think maybe for the first time in my life, in my lifetime on the political landscape. And I say this very hesitantly because almost everything from a government and political standpoint uh, has been almost everything has, has been less than stellar in, in terms of actually conserving the idea of America. All the, all the movements all of the flash and pans, all the elections that looked amazing didn't really turn out to, too much. But this is the first time when I can legitimately see that this could be ushering in a, a, a new reality for conservatism, or at least Americanism, in my lifetime. If Trump wins, in a, this, this, even more so if Trump wins, because if Trump wins this election, he's going to be able to appoint probably two, maybe three more justices. Can you imagine that? Six justices in, in a two-term president? But here's what I mean. Let's game plan this out for a little while. If Amy Coney Barrett ends up being the justice who flips the court and they are able to overturn something like Roe, one of two things will happen, or, or maybe both will happen. Uh, the issue of abortion will go back to the states, which it should. Well, it should be outlawed anywhere, but that, that it'll go back to the states. It'll go back to the states. Uh, the states with uh, somewhat God-fearing populations will hopefully be able to uh, outlaw the practice, the heinous practice of abortion once and for all in their states, and their jurisdictions. That will happen in, in at least a few states. The other thing that could happen is that once the court flips and it's a majority of conservative constitutionalist justices, the left, the places that the left controls in America, what are they going to start doing? Are they going to just start following Supreme Court guidelines and rulings? No, they're going to reject judicial supremacy, which is what we've been saying and we've been wanting to have happen for how long now? Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean by this being a win-win. Either we get a majority Supreme Court and some big issues that could be coming down the pike will hopefully for once go conservatives way. And if it doesn't, or if it, and if it, and if and when it does, if the left decides that they want to start ignoring them, then hey, they're giving conservatives 
uh, cover to start ignoring cases that don't go against conservative uh, con- conservative values. So I think one way or another, this could be very well opening the door to uh, to, to, to something resembling a positive political and civic outcome for conservatives in the United States. All that is to say, it's a huge loss, loss for the left to lose Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's excellent analysis. Um, Denise, I was thinking the other day, trying to come up with, can I, in, can I historically, let's say the nomination is Amy Coney Barrett, and looking at her judicial profile, I would say she is somewhere between Alito on the low end and a, a, a Clarence Thomas, from what I can see from her judicially. I think she's somewhere in that spectrum between those two. I can't think of historically in American history, and maybe I'm missing one. Would this would this be the widest ideological swing in in a judicial in, in a singular judicial nomination in American history? The swing from Ruth Bader Ginsburg to Amy Coney Barrett. You see what I'm saying? We're just where one judge is on the spectrum compared to the one they replaced. It, it would certainly be up there. What are your thoughts, Denise? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's why the the cult of Ginsburg is is getting louder and louder and more angry and having fits like you saw that woman in the car. Uh, the swing is incredible. And it also shows the polarization of our country, you know, how far we are apart on so many issues uh, that we really can't even find some kind of common ground on many of these issues. Uh, if she becomes uh, the next justice, I mean, it will make a huge difference on the court. I don't know if even if her presence will result in sending Roe back to the courts, I mean, back to the states, I, I only because I don't have confidence in some of the other conservative judges that are up there. But she, on many, many issues, ACA, one of them, um, is she'll have such a strong voice, and everyone knows this. And, and you will see a lot of talk now about women's issues. Uh, we're going to see more about the women's vote and what women think about her nomination, which ironically you would think women would be excited about a woman replacing a woman. But that doesn't matter when the woman to be replacing another woman is conservative like Barrett is and an original text um, interpreter of the Constitution like she is. It doesn't matter. Uh, And so they're going to scare people. You're already seeing everything out there. Women, you're going to lose your health care. Everyone's going to millions are going to lose their health care. You're going to lose your rights as women uh, if this woman is put onto the Supreme Court. So there's going to be an organizing and a jenning up of women's fears, which are already out there on high alert because of COVID. Women have gone completely in general insane during this time, and it's becoming more and more and more apparent. And you know, so she's she's definitely a, a unique figure. I think that he will nominate her on Saturday. We need someone like her. We need someone strong like her as a woman, especially um, going against what Ginsburg stood for. So I look forward to this. And and I agree with Aaron. Um, You know, this is a win-win for Republicans, despite the fact that it may cause divisions with women on our side. But women on our side need to wake up and, and realize what rights really are ours, what rights are being threatened, and stop thinking simply because, you know, birth control and abortion and these kind of issues. There, there are many, many other issues that we as women need to fight for when it comes to liberty, and we need to wake up. Instead of catering to these women, we need to continue to push against them and push for what's true and keep a focus on the issues and, and let them know why this woman being nominated to the Supreme Court is so important. 
Todd, good luck following those two. Go ahead. Well, she's a loss, but setting aside what replaces her for a second, she's not as big of a loss as I think seems obvious here in the moment. And, and here's why. Listen, she, she could have guaranteed in her 70s that she was replaced by Obama. But see, this is the this is the way of the left. They they always go Icarus. They always fly too close to the sun. And now here we are, and it's nobody's fault uh, but them. And see, and they have other ways. They they'll move on to the next brand of crazy. Look at these same people. As Aaron said, now we're talking about uh, judicial supremacy, um, going wacky uh, uh, about court packing. Mean, meanwhile, the entire left is justifying violence in the streets. We're in the middle of a civil war. They're just going to go to the next thing so it isn't as big of a deal within how the left thinks about things now in terms of how you replace it that is entirely up to donald trump and amy comey barrett or perhaps somebody else like i said if he goes if, if donald trump gets this wrong and picks a male or a female version it really doesn't matter of brett kavanaugh you know it's it we're it's going to be a moot point. We're going to be talking back of this as we're the ones who lost, not them. I guarantee you that. And Amy Comey Barrett, along with being, I want her to be a Scalia and I want her to be a Thomas, but it's even harder. And it has to do with the things uh, that Denise said. I mean, she. we're counting on people like her honest, to, to redefine femininity. For daughters like mine and daughters like Steve to look at, oh, no, that's what a woman is. Of course you can be a pro at any number of things in life, but you don't hate being a woman. You enjoy being a woman. I, you show us what you are with the grace you carry with your, yourself. You love being a mom of seven. I mean, the bar is so high for what she's got to pull off, and we as a culture desperately need her to pull it off. So it could be earth-shattering in terms of what she accomplishes. It could be. I really don't. And, and um, go ahead, Denise. I'll give you the last word. You got about a minute. Quickly, go ahead. And, and that's why the left is going nuts and wanting to say and change the rules of the game by increasing the number of justices on the court. You know, when they can't win within the system, they want to change the system oh, right, or delegitimize right. the system. Uh, they want to wreck the system because they can't win within it. And that's why they're that's why they're pushing toward this because they know it's cataclysmic. Yeah, I. You know me, man. I'm always hesitant to be optimistic on anything. I would be stunned if tomorrow he announces some kind of Brett Kavanaugh kind of judge. Like oh. stunned. Stunned. Like stunned. Me too. Like even in 2020 stunned. I mean, that, that would be dumber than handing... Yes, that's, it would. You might as well nominate Anthony Fauci to the court. That'd be dumber than handing the country over to, to, to Fauci for four months, is how stupid that would be. Yes, but you don't think it's impossible, do you? I would. I, I think it's pretty close to impossible. I, I agree, too, but it's not. No, I wish okay. I... Okay. Exit question. Will President Trump announce Amy Coney Barrett as his choice to succeed Ruth Bader Ginsburg tomorrow? Aaron? Yes. Todd? Yes. Denise? Yes. All right. Let's get to predictions. Aaron, you get to go first. Go ahead. Uh, so my prediction is if there is uh, if there is not a second presidential debate after after this first one, then there is going to be no uh, no vice presidential debate whatsoever. I think if this one if this one goes off and there's an announcement somewhere down the line that Joe Biden's not going to do any more debates, there's there's not going to be any more debates. There's not going to be any whatsoever. I see. I think that's the other danger of putting so much on this. If Biden goes in there and it's lucid and he's got the whole media championing that he was lucid, they don't just say, I don't have to show up again unless Trump releases his tax or come up with some stupid talking point. And now you're out a rematch because I think the the odds of a second debate 
are directly correlated as a parlay into how Joe Biden performs on Tuesday. If he comes out of there feeling like he performed well, I think he's walking off and not coming back. That's what I think. Todd. We talked about this earlier this week. It would be foolish for Republicans not to have confirmation hearings because of what they know the left will do. But I think there's a one in three chance. I saw somebody talking about it. I don't think it's 50-50 likely, but I think there's a one in three chance that the Democrats will say we are going to play no role in these confirmation hearings uh, so because they debates. know they can't help themselves. Yeah. Yeah. But that this helps them reframe They're going to just say no? Yes. <laughs> I, I think there's a one in three chance that they're the ones who boycott the hearings. All right. Denise, what do you think? You're going to see a ginning up of the war on women rhetoric all through October, and there's going to be all kinds of things that you're going to see, probably some more sex scandals. You're going to see protests by women. You're going to see all kinds of drama in the streets, literally, about women and the threat to women and the threat that Trump is to women and the threat that Barrett is to women and Republicans in general. They're going to expect an extinction of womankind after October is over. Totally agree with that. Um, their coalition, that... They, they they never made any grounds with non with uh, with non college graduate whites. Uh, they never really made up any ground from the Hillary coalition at all. They're losing ground in their Hispanics uh, their Hispanic turnout within their own coalition. So right now, I mean, they're, the the Democratic coalition is is totally and wholly dependent on white suburban women. They have to maintain the the ground. Uh, the gains they made with them in the 2018 midterms to be able to win on November the 3rd. If that gets eroded, they cannot win. And so since they can't, they can't uh, get those women on the issues because most of them, they don't agree with them on the issues. Actually, they have, they're going to have to do what you just articulated, Denise. I completely agree. All right. My prediction, the Detroit Lions are going to beat the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday. And here's why. Because they almost never win in Arizona when they're actually good, number one. But number two, if they lose here, the season is officially over at 0-3. Everyone's fired. The fan base is like, this sucks, but at least we know and has peace. That knows how the season ends and there's a new era to come and has something to look forward to. The Lions cosmically cannot permit that. All right. Uh, they don't they don't permit their fans to go or to die in peace. So they will win here to cruelly draw us back in once more, because the only thing the Lions, L.I.E., the only thing I like better than Jimmy kicking us uh, fans once is getting to do it in the same season twice. So that's going down on Sunday. That's my prediction. Just to draw you back in. Yeah, well, I know you love it, Todd. I know the you only love thing stuff. more profound than the craziness of 2020 is Lions craziness every day, every year. <laughs> Denise, always good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Okay, take care. Thank you. Bye bye. You bet. Uh, we've got feedback Friday coming your way. I, that means I should probably go get the feedback and find out what we're going to be talking about. Did you did you pull an Aaron? I and- just realized. Crap, we got feedback Friday. I hope I have hope I have it teed up and ready to go. Dang it! Feedback it Friday is something. Something will occur your, uh, in a moment. Your Mount Rushmore of favorite feedback emails. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's coming your way next. Stay tuned.
Hey, we're back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Boy, you should have heard that conversation during the top of the hour. But you never but will. Never, you never no. will. Never no. will. Yeah. Our memoirs. 40 years from yes, now. Yes, yeah, maybe when some of the people that we were just discussing are no longer with yeah. us, we can we can <laughs> share that conversation with you. 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show over on Parlor at Steve Dace. Check out our new YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And again, the last name is D-E-A-C-E. If you're a podcast listener, Bless your heart. We love you every bit as much as we love everybody that tunes into this show, no matter how they do so each day. But for you, we ask two things of you, please. Uh, Hit that subscribe button wherever you podcast us from. Leave us a five-star review if you haven't done it already. Heck, if you had, leave some more. Uh, Because the more of those two things that happen, the more the show grows. And we want to thank each and every one of you that has done those two things for us already. Let's get to some feedback. Friday brought to you by Gabby Insurance. You know, when you've had the same car insurance or homeowner homeowner's insurance for years, you kind of get trapped into paying your premiums and not even thinking about it. You're just used to budgeting it. You know what the number is. You write the check or have it deducted out of your account and move on. That really makes it easy, though, to overpay and you don't even realize it. So... I went on with Gabby Insurance to find out, hey, what rates are we looking at with our homeowners and our auto insurance? You know what ended up happening is it recommended we actually have the plans with the people that we already had. See, that's kind of cool that if if you're already doing the best you can do with your current insurance rating and where you're at in the market and what your budget is and what you need covered, Gabby will tell you that too, all right? But- If there is a way for you to save money, Gabby does a great job with that as well. Um, They save their customers a ton of money by helping you find the lowest rates that are out there. Uh, In fact, Gabby customers save on average $825 per year. So if you're looking for more information, you can uh, check your rate for free right now. And there's no obligation. It takes just a few minutes. Uh, and you can stop overpaying on your car and homeowner's insurance if you want to take the next step. Go to Gabby.com. It's G-A-B-I for Gabby. Gabby.com slash Dace. That's Gabby.com slash Dace. All right, let's get to it. Some feedback Friday. You guys ready to go? You bet. This is from Beth Carter who writes, I still don't understand why Barr that's the Attorney General Barr, has not locked anyone up yet for their crimes that they did. If he would lock them all up, well, um, maybe, you know, the rest of the country, we'd be sailing free. With all the Russian hoax and the Epstein case, why aren't those people in jail? It's all so maddening. I mean, there was a big story yesterday that broke. Uh, I think it was our friends over at the Federalist that broke this story. And, And there was a genius take, by the way, on this. On a separate issue, but but it's the same story, different branch of the same tree. That's the Flynn story. Molly Hemingway over at the Federalist tweeted this out a little while ago, and it's a brilliant take. And she said, "You know, the irony here is the is the federal judge in D.C. who is doing his best to play hanging judge to Flynn, and and just create his own law in real whole cloth from the bench by him doing that." The Flynn attorneys had already won this case. They were going, they were, you know, they were going to walk away. Hey, we're done. Got it. Yeah, we, the truth came out. Our candidate was railroaded and 
you know, uh, time to drop the charges as the feds uh, suggested and let's all just move on. But because the partisan judge there in D.C. does not did not want to do that and pushed this case. And now his you know, his ruling has been appealed and more appeals, more discovery. And one of the bombshells that came out yesterday uh, about this entire story only happened because the judge in D.C. would not follow precedent and go ahead and allow the charges to be dropped months ago against Flynn, but pushed the matter uh, to try to get him prosecuted, even though the feds are walking away from the case. And that is what ended up revealing one of the big bombshells that came out yesterday about where, and there were, you know, the whole thing about what happened with Flynn, what the, where the origin of the Steele dossier was and who was the individual who had a very problematic criminal record and, or, or suspected one in his own right. And this really, a lot of this only came out because they just didn't want to follow the law and let Flynn walk away and kept pushing it. Well, that means we got to push for more discovery to defend our client. So this is the second time this week that I think I will be making some kind of defense, at least devil's advocate offense of Bill Barr. Here's the thing. Steve's right about that, but it's the chaos worked in our direction that's basically what you said Mm -hmm. just now now and oftentimes the law of unintended consequences did maybe yes and that often happens with progressivism because it's unsustainable but it while you wait for those moments it just destroys people's lives And, and here's the thing with assume you're being lied to is our mantra and we know what we think about journalism i mean there is even if you just pick one as an example there is no smoking gun none that the american press will just take and it's like that's you're right you got them they, they oh yeah i see i see the body i see it all right there but you're a bigot and and you you know whatever I, that, that that's the problem why it has a lot to do with that because there simply is Nothing but narrative with the progressive press, and they will manage to hang every uh, hang uh, Bill Barr for doing it to anybody somehow, some way. Is it still worth doing? Uh, I think the three of us all agree to some extent. Yeah, probably. But there's just no getting around that fact. The press is that ruthless and nasty. You have to assume you're being lied to. That's a great point you just made because you hear sometimes when we get on Trump or Barr. Do something about these yeah. people. We'll hear sometimes from, you know, Trump loyalists in our audience. You know, what are they supposed to do? Not to mention this stuff always just ends up collapsing on its own once the truth comes out. That's we, right. We hear that argument quite a bit. Mm-hmm. That does happen from a narrative standpoint. That does occur, right? Okay. But here's the thing you have to consider is the human cost of this. We're not justifying the fact that it, that. General Flynn appears to have lost his job as national security advisor because he lied to the vice president of the United States. That's a separate issue from a criminal proceeding. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That's separate from the criminal aspect of what's going on here. Separate why he lost his job in the West Wing to what's going on in a court of law for a moment. And if you look at what's going on in a court of law, look at the price he and his family have paid these last few years over this scam. The human toll here. Who's the next Carter Page? Right. Is it you? Is it me? Who's the next one? Who's the next one who's got to rack up a bunch of billable hours for high-priced attorneys in the Beltway that they can't afford right now? 
over stuff like this, right? Well, the Federalists, for example, they came out clean on the other side just a few weeks ago, a month ago, but they they got targeted, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no way that you are just a, ah, look at there, there's good journalism. You've you've saved the country for us all in the name of the truth, and we'll follow the truth wherever. No, no, they don't believe that. that. And your your point that you made a, a minute ago too, on doubling down on how or how they double down yes. on narrative we went right from robert Mueller, no russian collusion to well, what about this, you, this 27 minute ukrainian phone call we'll just move on to the next one there must be discipline folks there must be discipline and if people are not held accountable because just like hey who's the next carter page who's the next who's the next general who's the next general flynn we want the next time they hatch these kinds of schemes, we want them to be saying, hey, who's the next McCabe? Do who, I really want to Yeah, do exactly. This? Who was that rebel? Who was the chick that, that was the Bernie Sanders leaker that got led away? What was her crazy? Reality winner. Yes. Who's the re- next? Do I want to be the next reality winner? Do I want to be the next Andrew McCabe? Do I want to be the next Peter Strzok? You know what I'm saying? Because you will be. Because you will be. But right now, your answer to that question is, Yeah. Yeah, I got a book deal. I get on cable news every night. I'm going to get a massive social media following for my next book deal. You know what I'm saying? There's mm-hmm. no penalty for this now. Right. There's only a reward. So yeah, I, I, I wouldn't mind being the next Andrew McCabe. I, I wouldn't mind being the next Jim Comey. I, I literally lost Hillary Clinton the last election and then got welcomed on The View open arms to make sure I had a book on the New York Times bestseller list by the exact same people I just screwed in the last election. I'll take that offer. Right now, there's a lot of people, a lot of there's a lot of grifters right now thinking to themselves, I'm your Huckleberry, man. Hey, what's the next coup attempt here? I'm in. I got, I got malice to feed. We've incentivized this in the other direction. So yeah, months, years later, like with the Mueller probe, the political narrative falls apart and the truth comes out. But what is the human toll and cost for the people caught in the web of this in the in the meantime? And then secondarily, what we are incentivizing them just to keep coming up with these schemes. These, these harebrained schemes and narratives all the time because there's no penalty to be paid for when that narrative collapses and the truth comes out. Yep. Got it. All right, let's go to the next one. This is from Jessica. Um, how much do you or Todd over there in the free state of Iowa, how much do you guys have your kids wear face diapers? I'm all in on the, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And I have been from the get-go, refusing to comply as often as possible. But I live in the People's Republic of Michigan. And while I have thought on several occasions of moving, all our family is here. And bottom line, the governor is temporary. And the things we love about this area will still be here when she's gone. And Michigan is purple enough that I don't anticipate this being a nightmare forever. So the problem I have, though, is that for my kids, fall activities have started. Almost everything we do normally is an option, but now, now, but the face diaper is the price of admission. I don't make my kids wear masks anywhere, and nobody ever questions it, but I don't have a choice for some of these activities, and I can't decide if I should say no on principle and withdraw or put up and shut up or let them have some say in it, like the kids. I hate justifying it. Well, it's just a half-hour class, but I also can't quite discern if I'm just being stubborn. Fortunately, my kids don't seem to be bothered by the masks nearly as much as I am, but still, I have to decide now if I should continue to let them go with soccer, since apparently the geniuses in our state capital have access to data that supersedes the guidance of the CDC, the WHO, Cleveland Clinic, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services to not wear masks during physical activity. You want to tackle this one first for Jessica? Yeah. I've got a few emails like this, by the way, on this topic. 
Listen, there's not... I can't give you an answer that you can just, like, write down as a cheat sheet for yourself that that's unambiguously the same for you in Michigan as is for me here. Uh, listen, my, my, to go to school, which my four daughters do, uh, they have to wear a mask. My particular school district has not been in any way draconian as far as I can tell. I mean, I think let's just, let, let's all get through this together. Uh, so that part's been good outside. Outside, we never, ever wear masks. And if anybody told us to, I would absolutely not do it. And under any circumstances. Inside, at the grocery store, you know, when my wife and I go, you know, they asked, I I even wear a mask then. And that's mostly for my wife, who also thinks it's really dumb, but she's the opposite of me. She doesn't want to fight all the time. So I just do it for her because I love her. You know, that that's my thing and steve's gonna have his aaron's gonna have his there's other store you know if i walk into home depot at this point i'm not trying to pick a fight with you specifically home depot but if i'm just by myself and it says wear a mask i probably won't just wear a mask until they tell me to if somebody says okay fine i will then too you know i'm not going all paul revere there in the middle of so i don't know that's me that's the best I can tell you right now. It's brutal there under Whit- uh, Karen Whitmer up there. And so you just have to call your own shots. But ultimately, serve your kids the most. Let them see courage. Don't let them see weakness. There's, there's, you know, you have to find a happy medium. Sometimes you explain that to them. But as I walked through the mall, this mall near Steve's house, uh, just a couple weeks ago with my 10-year-old daughter, uh, where almost everybody inside that mall was wearing a mask, uh, and I, we we weren't. And I just said, no, not, not in here, sweetie. And I explained to her, listen, these people aren't really afraid of the virus. Some of them are, but most of them are, are afraid of what other people think of them. And that's the thing that you can't let live inside your children. That last part especially is well put. To me, this whole debate comes down to a simple question. And, or a simple statement, maybe. And, um, And I'm getting a lot of questions on this topic. And I think they all have the same answer. The masks will go away when you and I decide we're no longer tolerating wearing them and not a moment sooner than that. They're never going to voluntarily go away. In some places, that'll happen. You know, um, some places down south, some counties, you know, Red County in a California, some even in a blue state like that. On an indiv- on a on a micro level, they will go away in some places officially. But on the macro level, the masks aren't going away until you and I make them go away. And the reason for that is it goes back to what I told you months ago, and I warned everybody about what the mask was going to be. I mean, it, it, has the mask become? A relig- the religious talisman, all, all the things you just mentioned. Has it become a, a, a virtue signaling trophy icon, uh, iconography that I wear this and it gives me the power of ex- social acceptance, right? Yes. That tells us what the mask has become, but it doesn't tell us what the mask is or where the mask began. The mask is the cost of the that the political system is demanding you pay in order to get your life back. Because it does two things for the system. Number one, if cases spike or there's a second wave, it allows them to absolve themselves of responsibility. 
because it means either you didn't wear the mask or enough of you didn't wear the mask. So it's your fault, not ours, right? And if cases never spike again and there's not a second wave, then they get to say, we saved you because of the mask. So it gives the political system what it wants. All the benefit with zero accountability. That's the first part. The other part is the system doesn't just admit it was wrong, whole cloth about something, unless it's forced to. And it usually takes a gun to force them to do that. Okay? No. So the mask is, hey, it may not be as bad as we had feared, but it's still pretty bad. So we're still saving you. And if you want your country back, wear a mask. It's, it's the way for the system, by covering your face, you help the political system save its face. That's what the mask is. And I told you that months ago that the mask would be, did I not say, would be the cost of admission to yeah. getting your country back because the, the team lockdown, which is most of government, frankly, at all yeah. levels, wasn't walking away from the table with nothing. They weren't walking away empty-handed. They had to come back, come away from the table of lockdown with something, some, some uh, you know, uh, some alm. And this is it. The mask is it. The mask is the cost of, of, sh of, of opening things back up. And even though we paid that toll, though, the next thing that happens, election, no matter how the election goes, then right around the election, though, you're getting colder, sports are moving inside, so th th this is going to go on throughout the winter, the, f the flu bugaboo that ever... Yep. I, we, we're not going to get to that point in mass when people start picking that fight, I don't think, until well, the that, spring. That brings me to, my, to where I was going to go next. The masks won't go away until we are we refuse to wear them and make them go away. But then the question becomes, is this the time to do that or not? Because here's what I would say. And all along, I've told you the truth the best that I can with the with the best research and data that I can do. I don't the reason I'm anti I'm not anti mask. I don't believe the masks work. The science shows they don't work. But there is a caveat. We are, even though, even though it was here all of last winter, it wasn't also as acute and widespread all of last winter at the exact same time, meaning all over the country. We haven't gone through a season where most of the country is going to be indoors with this thing percolating. And, and, and we know that it's percolating. An argument could be made, if I'm being as fair as I can possibly be, to go to the timetable that you just talked about, Todd. An argument could be made that this is not the time to go to war over masks. Now, let me, re let me define what I mean by that. What that means and doesn't mean. That doesn't mean to roll over that doesn't mean to just wear one everywhere you go now. That that doesn't mean uh, to put up with junk science and not push back on it when you're presented with it. That's not what I'm talking about. Strategically, though, an argument could be made that now is not the time to holistically, systemically, everywhere, attempt to wage war on the mask. Because there may be a lot of people right now that in six months would after they've gone through a winter and seen from themselves what this looks like on a seasonal basis, that you can ask them questions like, hey, are you going to get a flu shot? Well, yeah, of course. Why? Aren't you wearing a mask? I mean, if the, if the mask 
If the mask is, is, is more safe from COVID, it saves you from COVID more than, than a vaccine would, as CDC Director Redfield said last week. And if we're wearing masks to stop us giving COVID to other people, the COVID, the microbe that carries the COVID virus is smaller than the microbe that carries the flu virus. If you're wearing a mask, why are you getting a flu shot then? Shouldn't need a flu shot if you're wearing a mask. See what I'm saying? Yeah. We have time this winter to have these kinds of conversations so that when we're back outdoors again in the spring, again, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm theorizing strategically. Because we are, let me let me state this unequivocally, we're going to have to do this, I believe. You'll get some people like a DeSantis in Florida who lifted all their restrictions today in the middle of our show. He ended all of their COVID restrictions today. And he allows, he's allowing local communities to do it, but the, there's, there's pretty strict standards of what they have to get state approval from before they implement it. They can't just go off willy-nilly and say in Miami-Dade or Broward County, we're a bunch of lefties here, stay in your homes forever. They can't do that, Okay. You're going to get a few people that will do that. A Christine Ohm, right? Maybe our own governor here, okay, who's been fairly good on this issue for the last few months. There'll be isolated cases between now and next spring where people are going to say, we, we, we're going to have enough of the masks. But, but I'm just speaking strategically. I think the, the likelihood of success of a massive pushback against masks being successful this fall compared to next spring is much higher next spring. Once the next group of people who hate wearing the masks but aren't sure if they work if they don't work yet and they get to go through an entire winter and experience this on a seasonality basis in real time themselves. And then they're going to have after being cooped up all winter they're going to want to be outside. I, I, now it's 75 degrees I got to wear a damn mask at the golf course. I think there's a whole other layer of support we can get to successfully storm the ba the mask bastille yeah. if we wait until March or April of next year than if we do it right now. That's just a strategic analysis. Yeah, as much as it sucks it you have got to take in the very fragile Karen-esque psychology that is just pervasive out there. Mm -hmm. you, you have to take it into your equation. At least into your strategic yes, equation. Yes, that's it. We're not telling, and like what our friend, what my buddy Gabe Wrench did in his in his church in Idaho. We're all, if folks yeah, want to yeah, go yeah. and do that, dude, I wrote my column about the blaze about that yes. today. I'm all, I will support all of you yes. to do that. But the question Jessica asked us was, when is it time for us at holistic, on a macro level to say no? I think it's a, I think, it's a little early yet. If, if you were just asking me my strategic analysis. Now, if any of you want to email me and say, hey, Steve, we're just going to say we're done with this. You know what I'm going to tell you? God bless you. Everyone, go for it. Okay? I, That's a separate yeah. question, though, than if you're asking me for us at systemically, when should we launch the offensive, the, the offensive against the mask? I think it's a little early for that yet. Yeah. Love your principles, but it's, you know, I'm I'm principally against the riots and the burning down of these cities. It's one thing for me to uh, have a uh, weapon to defend myself in case they come to my doorstep. It is another thing, and if you want to, you can. Uh, but to walk right into the middle of the chaos and, mm -hmm. and principally say you just you when you know the police aren't going to have your back, I'm just, you might take some flack. You know, I mean, it might not go well. You have to take into account you're dealing with insane people. And we are 
regarding this virus. This has driven people to madness. I mean, why was today a good day for Ron DeSantis to do this? Tomorrow's the Florida State-Miami game. All right, one of the biggest sporting events in his state every year. But hospitalizations are down 76% in Florida. Is that a lot? Yeah, it's a lot. Okay. Now, was the infection fatality rate for COVID-19 back in July 0.03? Yes. Because that's what it is right now. Okay. 0.03 is what it is. That's the infection fatality rate. It was 0.03 in July too, right? But politically... Is Ron DeSantis in a better position today with a 76% increase in hospitaliz- or decrease in hospitalizations to cut the umbilical cord and all of this than he would have been if he stood up on July 25th when they had about a 20% increase in hospitalizations, which was which is big, not nearly what was being reported, but still that matters, right? Yes. Okay. So July 25th, would he have been right to end restrictions on July 25th? Would he have been principally right? Of course. Of course. Politically, though, could you argue that might not have been the best moment to to run out there in front of a firing squad and do so it must be considered you have to you at least have to consider it again it's the same, it, go can ahead, I interject it's that. the same reason again why the lefty governor in minnesota today they announced that they're no longer going to be tallying and releasing to the public the number of hospitalizations from covid in their state now why would you do that well maybe if you wanted to continue to lie about the reason exactly. for the shutdown yep. and you just wanted to stay shut down for evs yo yep that's why you'd do that, that. that that's exactly why yes okay now here's the other thing though i can tell you if there's enough gabe wrenches of y'all out there that just decide, well, we've had enough, then that can just totally take my analysis and timetable and just flush it down the toilet. I could be dead wrong that this thing could spark right now. I, but, well, but You're that's, still on the same reasoning. It's yeah. situational. Yep, and I'll change my analysis if it shows we've got the momentum. I'm going to say, hey, now's the time, yeah. man. Hop on board. But that's just my analysis of where we stand right now. I also would not totally rule out that masks could not be effective this winter when we're all confined to these indoor spaces in these climate controlled environments which this virus thrives in i wouldn't rule that out i don't think it's likely i wouldn't bet on it okay but i also wouldn't rule it out i wouldn't because i'm not going to do what everybody what, what the people we criticize are doing I don't like the masks. I view them. Uh, it, 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 I don't. I don't like the the. I don't like the politics of the mask. I should say, and so I have a. I have a because I see it as religious idolatry. I see this as the 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 pan idol of our time. I have a almost a, a, a religious zeal to want to just push back on it, not just on the basis of that. Okay, but then I, then that might blind me to data or that changes later on. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So we haven't been through a winter with this yet. Well, we have, but not with it as 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 acute now as it as it was it was here earlier in several places in 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 the winter of 2019 or, or 2019 into 2020, but it wasn't as widespread as it is right now. So there's a there's a chance that with masses of populations indoors and not outside, that the masks could be a, a, some form of a successful mitigation effort in the winter time. I don't think that's likely, but I wouldn't rule it out either. And there's only one way to find out, and that's to live through a wintertime and find out for ourselves. I mean, I've always been open to the possibility. Dude, I hoped they worked. I said back in March, why don't we just not shut the country down and wear masks? But the same people right now that are convinced the masks that don't work, work. 
told people like me that suggested that back in March, I was a fool and an idiot. We got to shut the country down. <laughs> so there you go. Um, Cindy says, my daughter attends the University of Georgia. She's been fighting the mask mandate since day one. The hate is unbelievable. She just received this notice from the university. Voluntary compliance is the new term. Not only are these college students being reprimanded for being social, they are being taught that it is bad to interact. And now it's time to turn your fellow citizens in if they do and all over a virus. Yes. See, this is the kind of thing, too, that can change people's opinions on this when the time that, that creates when the time is right mm-hmm. and people are like dude i did this with my kid last fall and we weren't sure how bad the virus is i'm not sending my we're not doing this at university this fall we're not doing this in 2021 you know what i'm saying yeah there's going to be a lot more people that are going to say that next year than are saying it right now because there's the people that principally don't buy into it next year there's going to be the people that instinctively don't just instinctively are just tired of the entire cock, you know, dog and pony show, cockamamie BS, and just want to move on with their lives, right? Yeah. We can grab all those people and then just run the system over. That's that's kind of the analysis that I'm giving. Yeah, and this this one's going to be yet another example of pile of ashes that did not happen anywhere. I think our buddy, well, we've never met him. He's my Twitter buddy, Andrew Boston, the Brown University yeah, yeah. epidemiologist. I think he's up to 40,000 positives on college campuses now with exactly two hospitalizations out of 40,000. No deaths. Because he's charting this yeah. in all these schools with their own data. Over 40,000 positives on American college campuses, two total hospitalizations, zero deaths exactly. out of 40,000. More in a moment. back here again on the steve day show live and on demand here on blaze tv um you know uh, people do a lot of good things for their dogs walking the dog is good running with the dog is good crazy but good okay but you know what is good as well making sure that your dog has the nutrients it needs the vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, pre probiotics, omega oil. See a lot of the food that we buy our pets today at stores, just like a lot of the food that we're buying for ourselves today at stores is just stripped of all of that good stuff. It's sterilized because leaving that in there makes the food spoil faster. They want it to last on the shelf longer for mass production and consumption. That's why we take supplements these days, and that's where Rough Greens Vitasmart comes in. It's not a new dog food, but it's a supplement for the food your dog already loves. It's just a powder that you sprinkle and mix in with your pet's food. They'll go crazy for it. At least our dog, Cap, loves the taste of this stuff, and it puts all the good stuff back in their food that's missing from it right now. And right now, you can take the Rough Greens 14-day Jumpstart Bag Challenge for just $14.95 and see if you don't see the difference in your dog in two weeks or less. Just go to roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com slash blaze. Let's get back to some feedback Friday. This is from Jeff Whitaker who says, I've never missed your show since you've uh, been on the blaze. Keep on keeping on. But I have a question thought experiment for you. What do you think the course of events would be if the SARS COVID two uh, SARS two COVID nineteen outbreak happened in January of 2016, and Obama touted hydroxychloroquine and zinc as a possible cure? Would he have won a second Nobel Peace Prize for medicine? Well, 
we already have an answer to that. Um, Didier Rayalt was considered, or di is it Didier or Didier? It's Didier. Didier. Uh, Didier Rayalt, until March 12th of this year, had been for the last several years considered the leading infectious disease expert on this entire planet. And when he originally came out with his recommendations of hydroxychloroquine and zinc as a combined early onset remedy for COVID-19, meaning if you're walking in, uh, if you're walking in and you can't breathe to an ICU and they got to put you on a ventilator right away, Didier was not suggesting just inject hydroxychloroquine and he'll just send him home for the night. But meaning if, if you had an early onset group of symptoms that were emerging in your physiological profile, this was an effective pushback if, it, if the symptoms were caught early enough. Or even it was suggested, if even if you just test positive, but you're in a risk group, take it pre preventatively. Because we already know the drug is safe because it had been, it's been FDA certified since the 1950s, right? And the world cheered this information. Much of the medical community cheered it. And, and you didn't hear about this in January and February because the vast majority of you watching this are not in any kind of risk group for COVID-19. So there was, it's the same reason a lot of you don't hear what the latest advances in Crohn's disease or irritable bowel disease or just pick something else because the majority of you don't get that. And then on March 12th at a White House Coronavirus Task Force briefing, the President of the United States, unfortunately for Didier Rialt, happened to mention his findings and research is very promising. And that's when Orange Man Bad kicked in. And now, and Didier Rialt has been fighting for his reputation in some sectors of his own peer group ever since. So that's your answer. Yes. Absolutely, the answer is yes. And this isn't just a hydroxychloroquine question. If Barack Obama had advised Thanos' snap... As the way to confront this, he would have been applauded by the world medical community. I mean, the, whatever he said, whatever he did. That's it, the it, level of tribalism that is involved here. Yes. This is this is why they're, they're so angry at Sweden. Because the leading nations in the world all got together. Well, the leading Western nations in the world all got together in March and made the determination to lock down. Except one. And the problem with Sweden not doing so is it provided us in real time a control group to see if this works. And now you're seeing classical bias in terms of the media. Mm -hmm. It's just craven and out in the open with a lot of things, but with, they're just doing what they've always, they just pretending Sweden doesn't exist, which is what they've done with a lot of stories. They've just like, they don't talk about them it, uh, in our, you know, you and I growing up within uh, the register and others. Now we know that is metamorphosized, which why you changed your principle on what fake news is or not. Mm -hmm. but, but with Sweden, they're just, they're, for the most part, they're just protect Sweden. What's Sweden? We didn't hear of Sweden. That's what they're doing. That That's memory hole. That That's exactly right. Yes. And that's why they're still very angry at it, because the, the, the lack of a second wave indicates herd immunity. By the way, have you noticed who's arguing about herd immunity? Like, like no one in any power or authority on the right or in this administration is advocating for a, herd, a natural herd immunity strategy. Have you noticed this? Yes. This is all negative arguing from the left. And here's the reason why. 
Because if there's never a second wave in Sweden, then it's it's because they reached herd immunity and all of their arguments are gone. So they're having this argument now before that happens or before it doesn't happen, if that is the case. And can I say one thing about that? Because I've been thinking it's what one thing we don't know. And you're big on that. We, we don't know all of at least I don't. I, I don't know all of Sweden's motives. When we talk about herd immunity, sure. we're, we're talking about how this thing actually works. How so, Now, it's it's one thing to say this works, and this it's another thing to say right out of the gate, we don't care who lives, we don't care who dies, we're not just going to try to protect anybody, we're just going to let it go through. Right, which is how this is being presented. Right, that's yes. not what any... At the yep. beginning in March, we were Steve and I were talking about uh, off-air and on-air, like about the heroic measures that this country could rally around to protect the elderly. No mm-hmm. one's not saying try. Totally uh, and agree. I don't know, maybe Sweden... And listen, let's. I'll, I'll play devil's advocate. Listen, you, you get to a certain place when you, you simply are that craven about the dignity of human existence it's possible that certain people within the Swedish community we know how that there's a very pro- pagan progressive society there it's the most maybe secular they, country yes, in Europe maybe yep. they didn't care I, that would be a terrible thing yeah that's a separate conversation that's a separate argument yes. then, though I mean, because you're pointing out hey because we don't live there we don't know the motivations of, the, of what, what's at the heart of why they did what yes. they did and it could have been the wrong motivation and they just stumbled into old time religion when it comes to what science was and what we yes. understood about That's virology a great way of prior it. to old, old man bad and they didn't like intentionally do this yes. they just they just acted on their own impulses yes. and ended up here yeah meaning just like New York it yes. seems New York ended up there too but what that I think I think that scenario would reinforce the science all the more though yeah because it sh- because you're going back to natural law here where, where where did the idea of herd immunity come from how did we you know what did we do it, it's a scriptural notion it's like right out of leviticus how we handled outbreaks what god said who to quarantine and who to not and why that's where all that stuff came from and what it would kind of show is that the old magic no matter how much new magic we try to conjure up here even if it was, even if Sweden had the worst of motivations, you know what? We are the hedonistic. We are the apex of hedonistic progressive Europe. We really don't want to shut down our way of life for a bunch of old people that we think are going to die anyway and won't be there for the next Maypole parade next next spring. And we like in, like in uh, the movie Midsummer, which takes place in Sweden, we just throw them over uh, over over the cliff when they reach a certain age right. and they're no good anymore. Who knows if those were their motivations? Right. And they might have been. But what they, if, if it were, then they couldn't still help but stumble into the actual science of, of how the world works and was created anyway. Likewise, if our motivations were to protect all these people and do everything we could, and we still end up with about the same death right. rate Sweden has, that still may, that then we both all we both did, regardless of opposite or the same motivations, all we both did was prove is, is prove that there is that the laws of nature and nature's God are still in effect, no matter how much technology we come up come up with, no matter vaccines we invent, therapeutics we we conjure, wishes we have, we can't mm-hmm. escape the way the world. Isn't that made. what science is supposed to be? It just is. Science what it is supposed is. to seek is supposed to be observable truth in action. That's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's kind of magic. It said though. we wish cast. Yeah. Yes. JD says, unlike elections past, there's been an exponential increase in downtime for individuals. With this virus lockdown, the newly eligible voters. Oh, wait, did I skip like the first three paragraphs of his email? 
I did. My bad. Let me go to the beginning. My name is JD and I'm 25 years old. I'm emailing to inquire whether or not you believe um, we on the right are estimating the numbers of newly eligible voters that will vote this year. It would seem in election cycles past that newly eligible voters did not turn out at the same rates as their older counterparts. In 2016, only 46% of eligible voters between ages 18 to 29 voted. I think we could see a significant swing in that percentage come November for two reasons. Coronavirus and social activism. My wife is 21 and many of our friends will be voting for the first time. We are surrounded by people in this voting block. It would seem coronavirus kept much of this age group indoors for months on end. When indoors, everyone turns to being on their phones and browsing social media, which is Gen Z's authoritative news source. As an avid social media user myself, I see on a daily basis the leftist propaganda they are constantly exposed to. When the new wave of social social justice protesting kicked off in June, I saw an astonishing number of my friends just glom onto the BLM movement. And this coupled with the anti-Trump rhetoric surrounding the virus has me deeply concerned. Unlike elections past, there has been an exponential increase in downtime for these individuals. With this virus lockdown, the newly eligible voters have been gradually turned into anti-Trump activists and very little and with very little knowledge of real world situations or truth. Overall, we could be looking at millions of votes in that in, in prior that in prior elections would not have been mobilized, but in 2020 have had nothing better to do except be passively or in some cases actively mobilized through the brainwashing of the left. Please tell me I'm wrong. That's from JD. Aaron, this is, well, is this your generation or the generation behind you? No, this is your generation. Yeah. All right, so what do you think? I I would assent to his observations. There's people that I've seen over the last five or six months of my age group, people that I went to college with. Mind you, this was a private Christian liberal arts college whose Bible department is still amazing. But a, a private Christian liberal arts college, people who never, I never saw post anything social activism or political before on social media, they are complete and utter social justice warriors. It's like, at least that's what you would, that, that, that's what you would deduce from their social media history. So I think the energy at least has picked up at least has picked up. It, it can't be the same. Now, remember back in 2016, we were com- coming off the heels of Ferguson. We had the, isn't that when, um, isn't that when we got the pink hats? Uh, do you remember those yep. as well? That, that whole year, maybe that was the right after Trump was elected. There was a lot of stuff going on there. There's still the running joke of this is the 200th and two or the, whatever the 50th month of 2016, whatever <laughs> that is now. Yeah. Uh, so there was a lot of stuff happening then that was really grabbing people's attention, obviously. But at least anecdotally, these are just anecdotal observations from JD and myself. Uh, I have seen that pick up amongst my age group. And it's like, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, the combination of being locked inside and the George Floyd thing happening at one point, it's just like programming kicked in. We're going to go full SJW right now. And at least that's that's what I've seen. Anyway, okay. I haven't seen it go. I haven't I haven't seen it swing the opposite direction at all. Like I haven't seen. Hey, you know what? Now that I've been paying it more attention, Trump's doing a pretty good job here. Right. I haven't really seen that. So what you're telling me is we just have to oppose mail in voting then with all of our lives, because this ain't you and I's first rodeo with the young vote is going to sway the election. Right. How many times have we heard this in our lifetimes? Oof. It never happens. These people never show up to vote in mass. They don't. But if you made it really easy for them, right? They could just do it online or mail in. A couple of times. Yeah. And then I could see that 
working itself out. But let me let me help you guys though with one historical analogy. And maybe it doesn't play, I don't know. But remember, from 1967, the summer of love, to 1970, that was Kent State, right? It was 1970. From 1967 to 1970, we had the greatest explosion of youth activism and countercultural revolution in the history of this country until probably right now, okay? And I would argue at that time it was even more than it is now because the country had never seen anything like that before, so it just blew people's minds, right? Everything changed. Clothes, dress, hair. Um, Chromosomes. <laughs> mores. Now that would come later, okay? But everything changed with this counterculture. The first presidential election after that counterculture was fully embedded and established within the American mainstream, Richard Nixon named the score against George McGovern in 1972. See what I mean? See what I mean? Oh yeah. So I, I would I would I would just say this isn't the first time that this has been hinted at or or suspected. And um yeah, they didn't have social media, but they had Woodstock. They had they had hate Ashbury. They had you know uh, campus protest culture, ways of connecting. They had their own subculture, and they took over a major American political party at that time. Actually, and the first time we had an, an election with with this fully embedded in the American mainstream, they got mollywopped. So just consider that. Oh, and I do when I talk about the. That's why you made that analogy recently. There you see a parallel. Now, the country's further to the left holistically than it was in 1972, right? Um, Social media does present an opportunity to consistently keep groups of people that large engaged and mobilized. So I don't think it's situationally it's necessarily the same. But we have had a historical precedent where we were told that in the very next election, that youthful uprising of, of... um, counterculturalism was going to destroy the mainstream, and the mainstream uh, struck back with a vengeance. Well, yeah, and this is kind of, this is somewhat Hegelian. You know, this is how you know thesis, antithesis. Uh, synthesis. We haven't made it a Hegelian dialectic well, uh, reference. We used to make those on this show all the time. It's been too long since we brought that up. It's kind yes. of what's. I mean, those all those people. You know, the, the crazy gets all the press and the attention, but normal life, even if it's drifted more to the left, normal life oftentimes just is like, okay, this has gone off, gone on long enough, and the squares just say, let's just, you know, we, no, I can, I can meet you so far, but. Even though it's not going to be intense like Jean Luc Picard, mm-hmm. it's going to be in here and no further. At, at the least very least, while. it means you got to oppose all these ballot yes. stuffing initiatives. Oh, yes. At the very least. Hey, great stuff. We're going to stick around and do overtime for our Blaze TV subscribers at blazetv.com slash dace. For the rest of you, we're going to see you again on Monday. Have a great weekend. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.